Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Beautiful verse, by the way. Look at that picture. How about that? That's Gabrielle and her brother Isaac. He's not quite done yet. And behind them is First Baptist Church of Azel. How about that? Back in the day. All right, Deuteronomy 31, 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. Listen to this. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask and pray that you would remind us and help us to remember these words in this great promise for you. And as parents, mothers and fathers, help us to have the same attitude with our children. We will never leave them. We will never forsake them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is Mother's Day, and for this morning's message, I created an outline, a message for moms, a challenge for moms, but it, it, all of these directives equally apply to dads as well. So dads, you're not off the hook. Uh, and so I've decided to entitle the message, What Godly Parents Do. What Godly Parents Do. Now, this is my dear mother and in pink, and she is holding my baby sister who's sitting right over there, right there, and uh, she's bigger now, uh, but, uh, and has more hair, I'm glad to say. Uh, speaking of hair, uh, the bald one at the bottom is me. <laughs> Apparently, I'm looking sternly at my sinful neighbors or something. I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but uh, there I am. And uh, uh, also, the one uh, beside mom, the tall one, and the eldest is also here or about to be here. They had a, uh, they went to their own church this morning, and they're they're on their way over here. They'll come in um, uh, some point during the sermon. And so uh, that's uh, so. Where am I? What godly parents do? I easily get distracted with those pictures. And by the way, I take pa pastor's privilege this morning. That's just a term I made up. And uh, we'll be showing more pictures as we look at different verses throughout the morning. A few years ago, I shared with you a little clip from Mother's Day called Stuff's, uh, what was it called? Stuff Moms Never Say. Well, today I'm going to share with you part two of that. Stuff Moms Never Say, part two. Watch this. to wash your hands. I have so much time to myself. Hey, walk away when I'm talking to you. My kids really respect my privacy. When this timer goes off, please turn it off and do not tell me. Thanks. Here, can you use up all my battery? Don't call me when you get there. I don't want to know where you are. It is just too quiet in this car. Okay, we're about to leave for church, so if you're going to make a huge mess, you better do it now. I don't know. Your dad usually does everything around here. All of these people are such good drivers. Eating dinner is completely optional. Hanging up your towel is completely optional. Flushing the toilet is completely optional. Okay, this time, can you smile more like a crazed lunatic? Hey, you want to dig through the fridge for the fifth time today? I'd definitely rather be here than at the beach. I am loving the look of these chips on the floor. I am loving the smell of your feet in my face. I am loving this back pain. 
Get a massage, ew, no thanks. Take anything you want from my closet and don't worry about putting it back. Don't look at the camera, look over there. If your sister takes your toy, just give her a good smack on the head. Hey, come drink that grape juice in here on the carpet. It's dinner time, everybody come get a snack. the same pair of underwear all week long? All right, thanks moms. So here are my directives to you very short and simply today. Number one, godly parents demonstrate love by what they do. Uh, godly parents demonstrate love by what they do. I think about my father and my mother and what my mom did so many times. It was her actions that convinced me that she loved me. Uh, and I, there's so many passages I could give you, and we'll talk about the mother of Jesus in a little bit, but Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, that famous passage where we see love in action, literally, from a mom. But when she could hide him no more, this is the mom of Moses, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now notice it doesn't say his sister was helping him. She's just watching, I guess watching him drown. I don't know, but you know, sisters. Anyway, she's watching from the bank. As you know, there was a directive from the Pharaoh. The Hebrew slaves were becoming too numerous, and so he wanted to control the population, and he did that by having all the baby Hebrew boys executed. The infant boys executed. Now, that sounds awful, because it is awful, but the mother of Moses could not bear to have her son executed in her presence or anywhere else, and uh, she could have held him during those final moments, but she loved him too much. She had to let him go because she loved him. And so she made this little boat out of a basket, put him in the river, as you know, and God spared his life and became Moses, the great patriarch. And so you see love in action, how hard that would have been for her to do that, to let him go into that river. And yet she did it because she loved him. Parents, your kids are looking at everything you do. Not just what you say, everything you do. How do you convey love through your actions? Well, as a good mom or dad, it comes in a thousand things that you do every week for your kids. Love is a very active kind of thing. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says it this way. And look at that. That was a fat baby right there. Now, if you sat on her lap again, it would crush her leg or break her leg. He's six foot three. So, um, but, uh, but anyway, cute, cute kid there. And uh, verse, uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted again. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God, listen to this, has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Here's, here's the Bible describing something God did, not just said, but something God did because he loved us. It says, <clears throat> because God has, and I love this, poured out his love. I think about my mom. She was a person who poured out her love through deed after deed, day after day, action after action. Mom poured out her love as moms I know that you do. 
as well. And dads, you're to do the same. God poured out his love into our hearts. And this is how God did it, by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Did you know, we call it the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift God the Father gave us. What a great gift, by the way. But he didn't just say he loved us. He demonstrated that love. He poured out that love through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we do things, parents. You convey love to your children. You demonstrate love by what you do. And it is true, number two, that you convey love or you demonstrate love by what you say. Not only by what you do, but also by what you say. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Oh my goodness, look at that picture. That's Terry's mom. She's here today. And uh, that's Cherry about the time I met her. Oh, wow. <laughs> My heart's a beating just looking at that picture. For this reason, I am sending you Timothy, Paul says, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Now, he's speaking to the church in Corinth. As you remember, the Corinthian church was a messed up, dysfunctional church. And so he's kind of, I'll say, throwing them to the wolves. He's not intending to do that. He is sending Timothy because he recognizes the church in Corinth needs some help, needs some direction. And so he's sending young Timothy to do that as a young man. But interesting what Paul says here, how he describes Timothy, who had no children of his own. He is, is spiritually adopting Timothy as his son. And he tells them this. In other words, I think he's saying to the Corinthian church, I see Timothy as, from my own heart as my own son. You better be good to him. <laughs> I think that's what he's saying. For this reason, I'm sending you, Timothy, my son. And then he says this, whom I love. Men, we are better at demonstrating that we love our children than we are at telling them we love them. It's not an either or, it's a both and. You are to tell your children that you love them. Now, moms, you're good at that. My mom told me that she loved me about a million times. I can still hear it in my mind, hearing her voice telling me that she loves me. Son, I, I love you. She told me all the time, I don't ever remember hearing my father say that. Now, I know my father loved me because he loved me through his actions. He just wasn't very good at verbalizing it. Now, listen to me. Husbands, if you have little children or you don't even have children yet, listen to me very closely. It's better if you start telling your children that you love them immediately as little babies and you keep it up. Don't stop. Because if you wait till they're 17 or 18, it's just awkward. Okay. <laughs> Tell them, tell them now, tell them frequently so that when you tell them as they get older, it, it doesn't sound odd. It should never sound odd. It should never have to sound odd. And I struggle because my father was who he was. And that's the, that's the example that I grew up with, that men don't say I love you to other people, to their own kids even. And uh, so I struggle with that. So don't wait. Godly parents demonstrate love by what they do, but also by what they say. Paul was not afraid to say it. He wrote it very clearly that he loved Timothy as his own son. Don't wait until it's too late to say, I love you. Years ago, back when we had newspapers, remember those? 
There were two things that I looked at every day in the newspaper. I didn't care about the news. Uh, I looked at the, the comics, and I looked at an article called Dear Abby. Always wanted to see. People would write in letters to Abby, and uh, the newspaper would uh, occasionally print those letters, some of the best letters they would put into print. And you could read letters. Here's a letter uh, in a newspaper once, an actual letter written to Dear Abby uh, from an elderly man. And he said this, Dear Abby, I enlisted shortly after Pearl Harbor. 36 days later, I was on my way to the Philippines. But en route, the Philippines fell to the Japanese and we were rerouted to Australia. 11 days after we landed in Australia, I met the most beautiful girl in the world. On our first date, I told her I was going to marry her, and I did. 18 months later, while on a 10-day R&R leave from New Guinea, after more than 57 years of marriage and two children, my beloved Mary died five days before Christmas. Although we agreed that our ashes were to be scattered over the mountains, I found that I could not part with hers. While Mary was alive, she would frequently say, you don't know how much I love you. And I'd reply, likewise. But I never actually said, I love you. I just replied, likewise. Now her ashes on my dresser, where I tell her several times a day how much I love her. But it's too late. Although I wrote poetry to her, I could not bring myself to say the three words I knew she wanted most to hear. As my dearest was dying and we thought she was comatose, I told her, there aren't enough words to tell you how much I love you. A few hours later, she whispered, not enough words, and then she died. The reason I'm writing is to urge men to express their feelings while their loved ones are alive. I don't know why, but many men are reluctant to express the depth of their feelings. So men and moms, be sure to tell your children that you love them. My mother repeated it so many times, I probably got tired of hearing it at the time, but I would love to hear her say it one more time. I can hear it. Son, I love you. Third, godly parents demonstrate love not only by their actions and not only by their words, but through discipline, through discipline. Now, my mother disciplined us, and I've often told you this before, my father used his belt to discipline us and actually to punish us. Mom used a board. She never used a belt. She had a board, and she never used daddy either to punish us if we needed punishment. She didn't wait a second. I, I know I told you this. She never said, wait till your father gets home. No. She grabbed that board. She took care of business with five redheaded kids. You couldn't wait till dad got home. There wouldn't be a house left. That's actually punishment, not discipline, and there is a difference between the two. Punishment is, is uh, reactive. That is, you're bad, and then you get punished. It's always reactive. It's always for something bad that you've done. Discipline is proactive. It's things that we do to teach our children as God teaches us to help us mature and to grow into the people that God intends us to be. Jesus never committed a sin in his life, 
But I assure you, Mary and Joseph disciplined him as he grew up because he needed to learn as a little boy, as a young man, he needed to learn discipline as he matured. And so godly parents demonstrate love through discipline. Revelation chapter 3 verse 19 says it this way. And I, I didn't have a picture of us whipping the kids uh, so, <laughs> so I took a picture of them needing discipline. <laughs> this is, uh, by the way, this is right back here on the other side of that wall, First Baptist Church. The slab of where you're sitting is right behind them, interestingly enough, back in the day, uh, playing in the mud. And so Revelation chapter 319 says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. God says, and this is Christ speaking, God's saying, that's how I show you that I love you. I discipline you. And a parent who never disciplines their child isn't a very loving parent. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Christian author Arlene Pelican wrote an article entitled, Five Ways You're Ruining Your Child's Life. Now, I don't like negatively titled articles, and I don't normally read them to you, but if you're doing one of these five things, this is going to be a detriment to your child's life. I'm only going to read to you four just because of a lack of time. She wrote, these attitudes and behaviors easily go undetected because they are ingrained in the culture around us. Let's consider ways we as parents might be unwittingly ruining our children. And again, I'm not making this accusation to you. She is. <laughs> Number one, amusement as the highest priority. Amusement as the highest priority. Instead of discipline, you just amuse them. She says, we don't want our children to be bored or to scream in public places, so we hand over an electronic device to amuse them. As this becomes the norm, your child learns to crave constant amusement and entertainment. Instead of having a special Disneyland experience once every few years, we're bending over backwards to create those magical moments every day with special outings, fun food, and over-the-top parties for our kids. Is that not true? Stop being, she says, stop being the cruise director for your child's life. That's not your main description, job description. If your child can't find something to do without your help or without a screen, they are headed for trouble. Number two, everyone's a winner. A few years ago, when my son was at basketball camp, she says, their team was matched with a much better team. After about five minutes, they turned the scoreboard off so it wouldn't read 98 to nothing. <laughs> we have done our kids a disservice by giving everyone a participation trophy. Life doesn't work like that. There are winners and losers. Imagine if we stopped keeping score in professional sports. What would be the point of the game? Teach your child that self-worth is not found on the scoreboard, but that he or she should always strive to do his or her best. It's motivating to learn a trophy or to earn a trophy through sweat, effort, and determination. It's demotivating to earn a trophy just because you showed up. Uh, and since I'm showing you this construction picture, during 
construction, I got my first taste of subcontractors. Now, if you're a contractor, God bless you. I'm glad you're here. This not applies to you. It applies to those guys that, that helped build our church. I found that I, there were some hardworking contractors. I mean, they, they worked hard. But I had a few that just wanted to be paid for showing up. In fact, I had one or two. I had one guy, he wouldn't show up all week. It, by the way, Friday is payday in the construction world. He wouldn't show up Monday through Thursday. Friday, he would show up, work a couple hours, want me to pay him for the whole week. I ended up firing. He was the only one that had a college degree, by the way. And I think he wanted me to pay him just because he was educated. Well, I wasn't paying him because he was educated. I was paying him because he had a job to do and he didn't do it. And so I found that very interesting. And so... Um, just he wanted a participation pay just for for showing up. Number three, feelings trump everything else. Feelings trump everything else. She says the main question these days is how do you feel about that? We've downplayed the power of the will to do the right thing, even when your child doesn't feel like it. Instead, we've elevated feelings above all else to our great detriment. Your child may not feel like doing homework or giving grandma a hug, uh, but she says, yet it's the right thing to do, homework, and to hug grandmas. Your child should not learn to behave based on feelings. Ask your child, what do you think? Not how do you feel? The Bible, uh, number four, the Bible and prayer are largely absent from everyday life. I read an article this week, just on a side note, that made me very sad. It was, excuse me, I saw an article on a YouTube video, actually, of a religion, in, excuse me, specifically Christianity in America in the last 10 years, and it's just doing this. Maybe sad to see, even the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, since 2015, 2015, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is one of the strongest and the largest Protestant denom denomination in the United States, and is still one of the strongest and uh, uh, most uh, fruit-bearing denominations in the United States, we had 16 million members in 2015. You know what we have now? We have 13,500 members. Uh, yeah, excuse me. We had 16 million. Now we have 13,500. In 10 years, we have, excuse me, in eight years, we have lost two and a half million members. What happened to them? Where did they go? And so we find ourselves in a, an increasingly secular society. And there may have been a day when I was born in 1964 where I would hear the word of God at church, at school, or wherever I was, but that's not the case today. There was a time in our country where people would hear the word of God on their television, but that is not the case anymore. If they don't hear it from you, they're not going to hear it. And so parents, don't miss your opportunity and your responsibility to teach faith to your children. The Bible and prayer, she says, are largely absent from everyday life. Does your child, she says, observe you reading your Bible and praying during the day? If they only see evidence of your devotion to God a few Sundays a month for the two hours that you're at church, it isn't enough. If you want to pass along a vibrant faith in God to your children, you must model it. You must talk about it. You, you can pray with your child about a struggle at school. Read a psalm at breakfast. Memorize a verse a week together as a family, for example. 
My dear mother taught us the consequences of our decisions, but she also helped us when we slipped very biblically. She was always singing Bible songs with us. She would find times with one of us at a time, even though she had five kids. And I remember my mother teaching me those Bible songs. But she was there in good days and bad. Psalm chapter 94, verse 18 says it this way. My favorite picture of my mom right there. I can't look up at it. Psalm 94, 18 says, When I said, my foot is slipping, slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. Parents, that's a great characteristic to have. That's a great verse for you to live out for your children. When my foot was slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. Which brings me to my last point today, and it's simply don't give up. Don't give up. Now, your kids can be pretty bad. I know my parents would tell you. <laughs> we were bad sometimes in life, and there would be a temptation to give up. Don't give up. That brings us to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you may be thinking, Mary had it easy. She's the only person in history who had a perfect child. What could be better than that? Well, you might want to think about it a little bit. If they had a disagreement, Mary and Jesus, Mary was always wrong. <laughs> she had to deal with that. She had to struggle finding the right gifts to the very one that created the world. What do you give your kid who created the world? But most of all, Mary saw it coming, the cross. We don't know when. We're not given the context. But I do know or I am confident that before Jesus headed to the cross, she knew what was coming at that point. Moms, imagine how it would feel that you knew that your child, your perfect child who you love, is destined for a gruesome, terrible execution. And she had to endure that. She didn't bail. She didn't give up on him. She could have thought, you know what? I'm just going to go back up to Nazareth and, and give me, let me know when he's resurrected. But where was, she, where was she when Jesus was nailed on the cross? She was right there. All but one of the disciples had bolted. They're all gone. Only little John is there, young John. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there right at the foot of the cross the whole time. Every agonizing hour, every agonizing minute, every agonizing moment that she sees her son being crucified. And she would not leave him. After he died, they took his body down off the cross and imagine Mary holding him. He's covered and she's now covered in his blood. And she didn't leave him. Here's what's interesting. We read about the resurrection of Jesus. That resurrection Sunday morning, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to one of the other Marys as well. And he appeared to his disciples. But did you know the Bible actually never describes him meeting with his own mother? I thought, why would, he do, why would, why would that be absent? Because I want to I see that scene in The Chosen. I want to I see Jesus walking in to see his mom. What a glorious moment that would be for mom to see her son resurrected 
And you know, it happened, but it's not in the Bible. Why? Now, there are traditions, uh, church traditions about that happening, but it's not actually in Scripture. And here's why I think it's not in there. It was too personal. Because in heaven, I'm going to find out. I'm going to ask her, could you share with me that moment, that, that hour that he walked in your house, the expression in your face, the expression in his faith, face when you guys hugged after the resurrection. What an amazing thing for a mom that never gave up on her son. Listen, parents, your children may do some terrible, terrible things, make some horrible mistakes. Don't give up on them. God doesn't give up on you. Don't give up on them. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge you don't give up on us. And we have done things that deserve for you to just say, no, I'm out. I'm done with them. It is extraordinary that the world is even still here. You haven't given up on us. Thank you. For our moms today, thank you for them. Again, you could have designed this world in a way that we didn't have a mom or a dad, but you chose in your sovereignty, in your brilliance, in your wisdom, in your perfection to give us moms. Thank you for them. Help us to be appreciative of them. Father, I pray you would help us as parents, mothers and fathers, to demonstrate our love, your love to our children through what we do, through what we say. Help us to never give up on them. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? Maybe you just want to come up and get on your knees and say, God, thank you for my mom. If your mom is here, or maybe she's already in heaven, long gone, thank you for my mom. For some, I encourage you or challenge you, if you are a mom or a dad, to pray, God, help me to be a godly parent. Help me to teach your word to my children. Help me to model you to them. Help me to never give up, never stop praying for them, never stop loving them. Ask and you will receive. Maybe God is calling you to make another decision today to give your life to Christ or to join the First Baptist. If God is speaking to you right now, this is your time. This is your opportunity. No one's looking around. All heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. Would you stand? And as everyone stands, as you pray right now, you come.